So thank you very much, uh, Dr. Alan Spence, for coming to be with us today. So without much ado, let's invite him to come and have the last session of talks to help us wrap up the day in terms of the word from the Lord today. Thank you. Thank you. Um, if any of you are planning to fund me, please wait until the end of the service. <laughs> The way of peace is covered with glory. Just in case you were feeling that there's a negativity a little bit about this, think of that woman crying at Jesus' feet, how she felt when she went home. Tell me, has anybody won the national lottery that had more joy in their heart than that woman who had been received, accepted, uh, by the Lord himself, who had been affirmed, your sins are forgiven, who had been told, you love more than others. Be amazing. And it's, it is the privilege of those involved in the road to peace or the peacemaker to be told, blessed are you, blessed are the peacemakers, for you are the sons and daughters of God. The other way around, the sons and daughters of God are all peacemakers. They're interested in the road to peace and in making peace and in creating peace. And it's a way of fullness, of richness and joy. Part of the problem of peace is that we fail to forgive others. But those who've drunk so deeply of grace find it easier to be gracious to others. Of course, the converse is true. I read to you that um, parable of Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. He pleaded, sorry, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back. The servant's master took pity on him and cancelled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him, began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison, thrown into prison until he could pay back the debt. When the other servants who saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told the master everything that had happened. 
Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me in, begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had on you? And anger. And anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. Whew. Not a very pleasant parable. But it's, it's a reminder that the way of peace has to do with forgiveness. And forgiveness is not easy. Some of us, of you, have been hurt deeply. And you have what you feel every reason not to forgive. But the people of grace have tasted so much grace and they see the other person's fault is so small that they find they can forgive. It's the route to peace in some ways. Sheila and I, <coughs> excuse me, knew some missionaries up in one part of Inyanga. Uh, they were called Ila Mission, actually. They moved to, um, to a place in the Bomba, the school there, and in Zimbabwe. And uh, it was during the war years, and a, a group of guerrilla fighters came to the school and called the missionaries out and um, abused them and shot them. We knew of um, one of the women who, well, we heard that one of the women was still living, but the community prayed that she might die so that she wouldn't have to live having seen what she did. But this great little group of missionaries came with a spirit of forgiveness and um, forgave openly those who had committed these atro atrocities. And the story is two of them ended up at the Bible school in Chinoy and became ministers or involved in ministry. It's a powerful thing, forgiveness. It's a powerful thing. And the peacemaker is called to forgiveness. And we dare not play around with that. It's not an option. Jesus didn't just tell a parable. He finished it with these words. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. Take a breath. Peacemaking can be hard work. It's an irony that the Americans call one of their pistols, the Colt revolver, peacemaker. I, I was involved in uh, 
Justice, Peace and Reconciliation Committee in the Zimbabwe Council of Churches. I was chair of the committee. But it was the Catholic committee that impressed me, Michael Rett. He had on his door, if you want peace, fight for justice. And Mike embarrassed us. This was in the early years and, and the country seemed to be doing well under, uh, under Mugabe's government <coughs> in those early years. But he kept reminding everyone in the courts that many in the belly had been killed in Land by the 5th Brigade. And he was sending people out who were finding graves. And in my heart, I just thought, Mike, let the past be the past. Let's get on. We've got other problems now. If you want peace, fight for justice. I'm at the stage in my life, some of you will get there in due course of looking back and being an older person. And I look back on many years of ministry involved in many different things, but I sometimes think that perhaps the most important things I did was stand up against wrong. I didn't do it often. I'm not a confrontational person by nature. I talk a lot, but I'm not confrontational by nature. But on three or four occasions, I stood up as hard as I could. I had a fellow minister who was going blind who abused an 11-year-old girl in a very big church in Harare. And I had to chair and lead the investigation against him. Not popular. Stood up against a politician and financier who defrauded money from a college that we were building. Although he's again risen to prominence in Zimbabwe in a particular area, <coughs> we took him to the courts. Um, stood up against a man who ran camps and was clearly abusing some of the boys. And he's become notorious in this country two or three years back and his name came out and all that. But I look back and think, you know, I hated doing that and there was no appreciation from anybody for having done that. Nobody claps the guy who says, this is wrong. Everyone just feels embarrassed when it happens and the person gets thrown out. They think, oh dear, but that nobody ever comes back and says, oh, thank you for that. Stories are told by you, but I look back and I think, you know, standing against what is wrong might in a ministry where I hope I've been involved in sharing and preaching the gospel have been one of the most important things I've done. Blessed are the peacemakers. If you don't get the blessing here, perhaps in glory. But blessed are you when you stand up for what is right and seek the way of peace. And sometimes, not always, I know some people look for a fight whenever they can, but once in a while, you might have to say, you shall go no further. This must stop.
peace and the loss of it is a great danger in the life of the church, in the wider world, of course. How many of us are prayerful at night for Ukraine? The peace in the church is dramatic. <coughs> they say that the church won't be crushed by lack of money. That's certainly true. I've seen poor parts of the world where the church flourishes. It won't die because of its music or that's wonderful to have good music. But what kills it often is disunity and a breakup in the life of the community. It's hard work. It's a sad thing in the church. I don't know if any of you are rugby watchers. I, I watch any bit of sport I can get my but, but I like rugby. There's enough of a South African in me to love to watch the South Africans play rugby. If, um, as, if Alzheimer takes over, I've instructed my wife to play the 1995 World Cup again and again and again. So I can see Nelson Mandela with a number six on his back congratulating Pinar. I love, but I do love, I love the other sports as well. But in a rugby game, if, any, if you know, it's much like other sports. It's, it's great, you see it, but sometimes the boys get a bit rough with each other. The commentator always says, as they give each other a bit of a thump, oh, it's just handbags, it's not serious. And they kind of know never to actually use a fist, but they get a bit rough with each other. Now, imagine you're watching a rugby game or a football game, that your heart is involved with, imagine you're one of those sort of people who gets wound up by this trivia, and, and you're looking and you're excited, and there's a slightly rough moment, and two guys from the same side suddenly have a smack at each other. Go, what? What? And opposition have to come and pull them apart. just say at half time if he could still speak <laughs> he'd say what are you doing you wear the same jersey you're in the same team. We sing the same national anthem. You represent the same country. You've got the single goal to win. Paul said, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called. There is one Lord. There is one faith. There is one baptism, one God and Father. There is all and over all, and through all, and in all. Tragic to watch a rugby game when two people on the same side have a smack at each other. What is it like in a church when people live with great antagonism? 
much more than you think. It destroys the church and its witness. By this they shall know that you are Christians, that you have love one for another. Church is destroyed by the spirit of antagonism, by the spirit of disunity, by conflict, by people fighting for their positions, by people holding on to their positions, by cheap talk. I've been around the churches, I know it can happen. But it is so, so against everything that we hold to be true and dear. We have to face it. We have to look at it and think about it. It doesn't mean that we always just turn a blind eye and pretend there's nothing happening. Sometimes you have to stand up to suffer. Sometimes you have to look at issues. But as Paul says, you must speak the truth to, to each other in love. The coward in us never wants to speak the truth. You know, look, let me say, most times biting your lip is not a bad idea. There's some of us who would be a lot better if we just bit our lip for a little bit longer. But there are times to talk, and we've got to do it in love. Why? For the unity of the church, for the peace of the church. Paul, not Paul, Jesus prayed for the church that it might be one as you and I are one, he says to the Father. He prays that this body might be one. You know, we come here, it's a great privilege to see a body of loving people, but I know nothing of what underlies where you are. I've certainly seen churches where when people knock them, I think that, you know, there's more love in the average little church than I find anywhere else. The church is full of caring, loving, forgiving people. But take peace seriously. And no, it is not an option. It is an option of whether you're a healer or a minister or this or a prayer or whatever. But peacemaking is the mark of a son and daughter of God. There's no, well, I'm not into forgiveness. I'm very good at actually counting the money afterwards and doing this, but I'm not great in forgiveness. There's a pile. Look, forgive us, Lord, as we forgive them. Take peacemaking seriously in the life of your church. And it's not always just a gentle hug or whatever. Sometimes, unfortunately, something needs to be spoken about. Be very careful. Think five times before you do it. But sometimes you need to do it. You need to hold powerful people to account. You need to hold systems to account. Who are you? You are the people of God. You've come together under one Lord, held together by one spirit. You've got one faith. You've got one baptism. You've got one Lord and Father of all. Hold the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace.
very deep words, very encouraging words, but also very insightful words to give us insights into what God wants us to do and who God wants us to be as believers and also corporately as a church. Alan is a very experienced minister, has been a minister for so many years. <laughs> I'm sure it's um, less than 40 years of ordination of <laughs> ministry. <laughs> and, um, you know, has had experience beginning from Africa. So it's my African brother, never mind. And then here in the UK, and he has pastored a number of a range of churches. And so he knows when he's speaking, he's speaking from experience, from encounters, from what he has observed in church. But you can see that we've moved from personal peace to corporate peace. I hope you observed the way it was moving. And so peace is not just something that has to do with an individual. It has also to do with the community where the individual belongs. And so whether it's a church or an association or a rugby team, as is used as an illustration, wherever we are as individuals, we are part of the building block of a community. And so whatever happens to us, we definitely have a way. You know, some people come to the office in the morning and you look at them. You know, you ask them, are you all right? Are you okay? Why? Because there's something about the person's attitude that morning that tells you everything is not very okay. And if you care enough, you want to know if there's any way you could support them. Same thing in the church. So thank you once again for coming. Thank you, Sheila, for coming with him. And um, we hope you come again when next we invite you, because this shouldn't be your last time here with us. They were here last year during Easter, and we enjoyed, you know, uh, the time you spent with us at that time. So, God bless you.